Amen, and thank you, worship team, for getting up early, battling that snowstorm, and being here today. You know, I don't know about you, but last Sunday, as Pastor Bill concluded his remarks and led us in singing, that, that was a very emotional time. And I hope that you will be back here today. If you're not staying for the luncheon, I hope that you'll be back here today at 2 o'clock to to celebrate him and for us to do the passing of the baton. But as you saw from the title today, we're where are we, where are we going, and how do you fit in? It's kind of like a State of the Union address. It's kind of the thing that they do, politicians do this time of year. A State of the Union address, but it's going to be for our church. So if you want to stand and clap at random points throughout the sermon, you're, you're surely welcome to, but it will prolong an already long message. <laughs> We're thinking about this morning the trajectory of our congregation this year. And so if you do have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through verse 8 this morning as we answer the question, where are we, where are we going, and how do you fit in? This is the word of the Lord from Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." We're answering the question, where are we, where are we going, and how do you fit in? And in order to do that, we first see from our text that we're called to cultivate a heart of worship this year. Verse 1 opens this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, our passage here starts with a personal appeal from the apostle Paul. That was not only fairly normal for Paul, but but for others at his time. For example, we can see in the opening to 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers. Or in the next recorded letter that we have, we appeal to you. Or in Ephesians, he writes, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, Same word there. So while it might be just a bit uncomfortable for us today, if we carefully read through the Bible, over and over you're going to see a regular practice of Paul and of others, that they're trying to shepherd. 
that there is an appeal being made, a, a case that is being presented so that you might take, at the urging of the shepherd, some steps. That is, by nature, what the Sunday morning sermon is often about. It's not primarily about learning little tidbits about the Bible, although I do hope in a sermon you are learning about the Bible. It's not primarily about feeling warm and ooey-gooey on the inside like you got a spiritual hug, although I do hope that you will find encouragement from the Lord when it comes to the preaching of the Word. Many times at the preaching of the Word, they're spent appealing and urging Because that's how God designed the church to function. With the pastor studying the word and then appealing and urging the congregation. And what that urging and appealing often starts with is a cultivation of the right heart of worship. And our text puts it this way. It begins with a right understanding of the gospel. The gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ, of his, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And I want to encourage you this morning as, as you consider how will I start off my year right? And, and how will we as a church start our year off right? That everything that we do and everything that we say would be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many false gospels out there in the world, ranging from the prosperity gospel that, that God will give you everything you want, He'll bless you, you just got to name it and claim it, all the way to a complete denial of God and secularization. But can I encourage you that as you consider how are you going to make this year one that is an act of spiritual worship, that everything will start with and be grounded in a right understanding of the gospel. Milton Vincent puts it this way in his book, The Gospel Primer. God did not give us his gospel just so that we could embrace it and be converted. Actually, he offers it to us each day as a gift that keeps giving to us everything we need for life and godliness. The wise believer learns this truth early and becomes proficient in extracting the available benefits from the gospel each day. So as we set out as a new year, as a church family here, we must start and ground everything that we do in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts by, if you're here today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior meaning that there is not a point in your life where you have confessed your sin, asked for the forgiveness of your sin, and trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to be the only thing that will save you, that today the message for you is clear. To turn to Jesus. See, it's not going to be your good deeds that will get you into heaven, although I hope that everybody here is filled with good deeds. It's not going to be your your knowledge of the Scriptures, although I hope that we would have a robust knowledge of the Scriptures. It's not going to be that you're more moral than your neighbor, although I hope that you do live an ethical life. It will be based solely on the shed blood of Christ applied to your life that you will be saved. 
And so, as we consider what does it look like to start off this year to cultivate a right heart of worship, it it begins with making sure that everything we do and say is grounded in and flows from the gospel of Jesus Christ. This year, as we consider how will we grow and, and how do you fit in by the grace of God, And I say by the grace of God because we all know that the Lord can change the best laid plans. And if he tarries his coming, by the grace of God this year we're going to be growing in our faithfulness. Berean has a rich heritage, as I've mentioned here before, and we want to continue to build on that heritage. To be faithful, but we we must be faithful growing. We dare not believe that we have arrived and that we no longer as an individual and no longer as a church need to be concerned with growing. We all need progressive sanctification at a personal level. Can I get an amen on that? Nine o'clock was louder. But do we all agree with progressive sanctification at the institutional level? That the church needs to be growing. And this year we're going to be growing in our faithfulness. And as we try to do that and root this in the gospel, we're going to study the book of Galatians. And our series will be about faithfully following the true gospel. I'm looking forward to that study for so many reasons because I think it will have so much to say to us here today. For example, in the opening of that book, Paul would write in verse 4, describing of Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. I don't think it takes a cynic to conclude that we're living in an evil age. Just look at the news, look at your Facebook feed or whatever. You and I, we live in an evil age, and the the gospel is relevant for that today. So so we're going to look at and we're going to study verse by verse the book of Galatians. Now, if you're following the, the logic in our text this morning, as we try to cultivate the right heart of worship, you'll notice that it tells us we will need purposed action on our part. It puts it this way in verse 1, that we're trying to present our bodies as living sacrifices. The word there, present, is it's pretty clear. It, it's something that you have to volitionally and willingly do. The, the metaphor there, it's trying to invoke the traditions where persons brought a sacrifice to the temple. The Romans would have been very familiar with this. They, they brought a sacrifice of an animal or, or something of great value. And that's key there. It has to have some sort of value. And they they offered it up to the deity in order to appease them, in order to get on their good side. So so if you brought a a goat into the temple, they they slaughtered the goat, and, and the hope, the belief was that you would somehow earn the favor of that God. 
Now we live in the, the new covenant. We're, we're no longer bringing goats into the church house to sacrifice on Sunday morning to appease God. Are we glad for that? Most of you don't have goats. Rather, we know that Christ and His death on the cross, He satisfied God's wrath for us. And it's His good merits for those who've trusted in His death, burial, and resurrection. It's His good merits have been put on our account. That's why we could sing this morning, if God is for us, who could be against us? It doesn't mean that everything in our life will be easy. It means that the price has already been paid. But in Christianity then, because there's no further sacrifice for us to secure our salvation, there is a call to present our lives as a living sacrifice. Christ would say it this way in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Dear church, this is not something that will just happen naturally. We will have to daily, weekly, monthly apply ourselves to the presenting of our members, the presenting of our bodies as a sacrifice to God. And so, it's a wise and a natural time for us to ask here this morning, how have you been doing with that and, and how will you grow in doing that this coming year? I want to be balanced in my comments here, not only here but elsewhere when I preach, but I would suspect that there are persons here in this very room that if we examined your life, we would say, you could grow in your service and sacrifice to Christ. There's no doubt that there are people here in this room that honestly, if we looked at their lives, they're doing too much. But for many here in this room, there is room to grow in your service to the Lord. And so can I encourage you to take our passages, exhortations seriously this morning, that, that because of the gospel of Christ and your salvation being secured, not that you would do these things to earn your salvation, but because of it, that you would grow in your service and that would be purposeful on your part. For example, did you know that Berean has a number of deacons, and those deacons lead a variety of administrative committees around here? We've got things like ministry support that, that make the variety of things happen. We've got building and maintenance. Someone had to shovel those sidewalks here today. Christian education, helping develop the discipleship process. Or, or missions, fellowship, finances. And did you know that those deacons who are leading those committees would love to have you help and serve in those areas? Now, being on a committee is, is signing up to, to serve, not signing up to, to get your way around here. You're willingly placing yourself under the elected leaders to help accomplish the mission, not get your own agenda. But the point would be that I'm trying to highlight and encourage for us is that if we're serious about spiritual worship, the text calls for us to present our lives as an act of service. 
Part of the way that you could do that is to join one of those committees. Another way that you could do that is to serve in our various children's ministry offerings that we have going around here. I'm so thankful and encouraged to see how many young families we have as a part of this, this church family. If ever in your heart you go, man, there's just way too many kids rolling around here, let's have a conversation. But did you know that it takes people to serve in children's ministries to care for those kids? And I want to especially encourage those of you here today to think very carefully, how am I discipling the next generation, even if you have children in children's ministries? I know that can be confusing for some, like, I don't serve in children's ministries. I drop my kids off in children's ministries. You can do both. But I would encourage everybody here to be very serious about attending both of our worship services in one way or the other. Attending here in this very room as one of the worship services and either serving in children's ministries or the other areas that we have here or attending a Sunday school for discipleship. And if you're attending a Sunday school using children's ministries, we've got Wednesday ministries too. The point being, I believe God wants everyone who is able-bodied, and there's a lot of able-bodied persons around here, to serve in a meaningful way. And so tonight, after we celebrate Pastor Bill and Peggy, and, and we enjoy, if you looked at the menu, some great barbecue food, maybe one of the logical things to do tonight is to sit down, and if you're married, to sit down with your spouse And if you have children, to sit down with your children and to say, okay, we want this year to be a great year. How are we going to grow in our spiritual acts of sacrifice and service in the local church? Because I believe by doing this, this is going to result in a life that is pleasing to God. The new year, it's kind of one of those natural times where, where we consider really big questions. Like, like, what is the meaning and purpose of life? I actually think such a very big question is answered very simply and straightforwardly by the Bible. Our goal of our life, whether we're at home, that's in the body alive, or away from it, that you're dead, you're in heaven, our goal is to be pleasing to God in everything that we do. And everything that is grounded by the gospel that is a spiritual act of sacrifice is looking for the result of pleasing the Lord. Last month, Pastor Bill and I were talking, and a member of the congregation passed away, Joanne Raven. I did not have the opportunity to know her and even to to meet her prior to her funeral. And he said to me in that month, and I thought it was really interesting, he said, there will be more this month. And he was correct. There wasn't more more deaths in our congregation, but there were deaths associated with with people who were in our congregation. For those who were in Christ, they were immediately ushered into glory. And when I get there, and when you get there, should the Lord tarry His coming, I hope that these would be the words that you hear when you get there. Well done, good and faithful servant. You you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
Brothers and sisters, Paul is appealing to the church at Rome. And so I plead and urge you, make this year about grounding everything in the gospel. Make it about spiritual sacrifice and service to the Lord. And in doing so, one day you will hear from your master, well done, good and faithful servant. Second thing our text reveals for us this year is that we're to be carefully evaluating our thinking. Do you agree with me that none of us came out of the room, the womb, thinking correctly? Or that when you were converted, that, that you did not automatically experience perfect thinking on your part? None of us were. That's why Paul instructs us this way. Don't be conformed to the world, but but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our thinking is a key part of who we are. We spend so much time thinking and talking to ourselves each and every day. And we don't have time to review all of the passages that instruct us about how important this is or, or how we should go about doing it. But I hope that you would agree with me this morning that as a person, it can be very easy to get sideways in your thinking. Someone does something to you and, and you interpret it the complete wrong way. You were driving in traffic and and someone merges just a little too close for your comfort and you're like, he's trying to kill me. It's easy for us to interpret the world around us. And so one of the things that we have to do as Christians is to carefully evaluate our thinking. So I hope to do that this summer in our series, Faithfully Caring for Our Hearts. In that series, we're going to wrestle with the struggle of discontentment and and how to put on being content in the Lord. Because the reality is, even going back to the, the second book of the Bible, Exodus, God's people were continually struggling with being content. And even when they got to the promised land, it's not like they arrived across Jordan and all of a the sudden their discontentment battles were gone. The same is true for us. We each struggle with being content. And if we're not careful, if we're not watching over our hearts, then, then we will wander away from the path that the Lord has set before us. And so it'll be a series, a a topical series. We won't work through one particular book, but but we'll visit different chapters in the Bible and try to extract, okay, what does this chapter have for us in putting off discontentment and putting on a heart that is content in the Lord as we faithfully care for our hearts? But our text tells us that as we renew our mind, if we do this, if we carefully guard our hearts and do that, then we will be able to learn God's will for our lives. The purpose statement, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
In my experience as a pastor, I believe that believers are regularly plagued by the question, what is God's will for my life? I love sitting down with people and helping them wrestle through that question. Because it, it tells me they, they actually care what God thinks about how they live their life. There's so many people in our society, they don't care what God thinks. They're, they're just going to make decisions come what may. But when a Christian is wrestling with the will of God, that, that, that is a beautiful and great meeting to be a part of. And so our passage helps us see that, that as we renew our minds, that is to, to think the way that God thinks, that, that we'll be able to discern His will. Now, the only way that you can learn to think the way that God thinks is if you get to know your Bible really well. If you want to renew your mind, you, you have to begin to know God's Word backwards and forwards. So let me pause and ask you here this morning, the, the first Sunday of 2024, do you have a very specific plan for reading your Bible this year? Do you know what you're going to read each and every day? If not, I would like to encourage you, don't go to bed tonight without a clear plan for your entire year on, on what you're going to do. If you say, man, that, that just sounds so overwhelming, just Google a Bible reading plan. There's a lot of great ones out there. You don't have to create it on your own. Personally, I use the McShane reading plan. I find it great because it takes me through the Bible once that year, the New Testament twice, and Psalms. And I, and I know for some of you, you're thinking, that sounds a bit radical. Read the whole Bible in one year? Have you seen how big that thing is? But I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, and you've never read through this entire thing front to cover, that you would do it. You might even ask a fellow brother or sister to keep you accountable and if you said, well, I, I have read it, but it's 20 years ago, it might be time for a refresher. Most of us do not have photographic memories be like, I know what Nehemiah 9 is about. And so if it's been more than five years, it might be time to refresh. But the main point is you must be constantly devouring the bread of life. So do you have a plan for knowing your Bible better this year? And it's purposed and intentional. So that, as our text tells us, then as we change our thinking, we can discern what the will of God is. Now when theologians talk about the will of God, they often break it up into two helpful categories. The, the expressed will of God and the, and the secret will of God. The expressed will of God are those things that you can clearly see revealed from the Bible. So if you're at work this week and you're wrestling with the question, does God want me to steal from my employer? The expressed will of God revealed in this book is no. He does not want you to steal from your employer but the secret will of God is a bit different because we know that 
passages like Ephesians 1 tell us that, that God is working all things, everything, to the counsel of His will. But that doesn't mean that He's told you and me everything that He's doing in that particular moment. So take, for example, when Pastor Bill announced his retirement, it wasn't really clear from the Bible what the next steps were, how the outcome would be achieved. But there was a secret will that God was working in those moments. So if now if you're tracking with the logic, you're thinking, okay, I can know the expressed will of God, but, but then how do I, or more importantly, how do we as a congregation know the, the secret will of God? The answer is sometimes we don't. But as a church... We believe, as Baptists, that one of the tools that God gave us to to mediate, to determine His will, is through congregational governance of the members. Notice this way how Jonathan Lehman puts it in his book, Don't Fire Your Church Members. Congregationalism does not want to diminish the specialness of the pastoral office. It just wants to add another office member. Jesus, by means of the gathered congregation, calls every member of the new covenant to assume just a set of office functions, duties, obligations, and powers through his or her membership in that congregation. Jesus puts every Christian into office, and the church's work week, it lasts all seven days. The church is its members. Membership is an office, and members never step out of the office because they are the church. And because theirs is the work of representing Jesus and protecting his gospel in each other's lives every day. So I I hope that you would take that very seriously. That you would want to know not only what is God's will in your life, but that you would help this congregation participate in knowing what the will of God is in our corporate lives. So let me give you two ways that I think that you can be a part of that. First is being involved in attending things like church business meetings and such. I realize that there's a lot of fun ways of being involved around here, and some of you don't think being involved in church business meetings are all that fun. But it is part of what being involved and being a member is all about. If you're paying attention, both myself and Jonathan Lehman have been using that word a lot, member. I realize that there are some here today who are not members of this or another church. And we're, we're so glad that you're here. Don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. But the Bible and our church, because of the Bible, does, does make a pretty stark contrast between those who are part of a local body and our local body and those who are not. So if you've been here for a while checking us out, considering if this is the church for you, we are so very happy about that. But, but if you've been coming here for over a year, or you've been coming here for multiple years and you haven't yet joined, can I just say that there's probably something wrong with that picture? I know that myself, any of the other pastors, 
the elected leaders of this church, we would be happy to sit down, answer any questions that you might have. But God wants each and every one of His children, I believe, according to the Scriptures, to be joined to a local church so that they can fulfill part of the office that we have been talking about and help the local church discern the will of God. My exhortation to you is don't spend another year on the sidelines. I hope that if you're here, that you would take seriously what the Bible has to say and that as you renew your mind, that you would take serious what God has to say about His will. second way I think that we can as a congregation determine His will is through the working out of something that I'm going to lead us through this year, Lord willing, in a strategic planning process. Where are we and where are we going in the next few years? Because part of being a part of a congregation is is us talking together. We've elected leaders to lead. They need to lay out the direction. But we need to hear from one another as well. And then we need to communicate. Here's where we believe that God is taking us. So if you say, you know, I really want to be involved in that planning process, email me, email the office. We'd love to have you part of that, but that you would take seriously, okay, where is this church going? How do I fit in? Because if we're doing that, if we're renewing our minds and and trying to answer the question, what is the, the will of the Lord, the goal of all of this, according to our text, is transformation. Don't be conformed to the world, but but be transformed. The world is most certainly trying to conform all of us. We need to be so careful about how the world is putting pressures on each and every one of us. And I recognize that, that many of you place, you have great pressures at your workplaces in schools, to to be conformed to the thinking of this world. Your pastors are here for you. Your deacons are here for you. We want to help you not be conformed, but to be transformed. And part of that is going to come down to ultimately, do you have intentioned purpose plans in your life to be growing and changing? So many times in our world, it's talked about as New Year's resolutions. And it's not just a history of that in our current generation, but, but of the Christian church. The great Puritan Jonathan Edwards is well known for many things, but one of them is his 70 resolutions that he used to organize his life. Each week, he would read those and ask himself, how can I afresh apply these to my life? Because his goal, our goal, is transformation. So my hope, my prayer for us as we consider where are we and where are we going, that that we would have an eye for how are we being transformed into the image of his son. And so, perhaps not today because you got a lot of homework already today, but maybe this week, You would sit down with your spouse, sit down with a friend and say, how am I going to purposely, intentionally grow to become like Jesus? That that might be joining a Sunday school around here, joining one of the discipleship groups. 
It might be asking one of your pastors for personalized counseling. But, but if you're just coming and going to church and that's about it, then I'm not sure that you're where God wants you to be. And men, men who are married and men who have children in the home, I hope that you would especially hear this sermon and feel the weight of what I'm saying for your family. That God has called you to lead your families. And that starts with you thinking about transformational leadership. If you want to see how that I'm doing that in my role here as the pastor of Berean, on your, on your handout, there's a funky-looking QR code at the very bottom. My assumption, my working assumption is most of you have smartphones. And with your smartphone, you can use the camera app to pull up my yearly initiatives. What am I trying to do and trying to transform and grow in this particular role? And you can use that as a model. You can use that as an example. If you don't have the ability to access that, email the office. We'll get you a copy. We can even print it for you. But that it'd be really clear that if you and I are having a conversation on December 31st of this year, and I ask you, how was your year? How did you grow? That you'd be able to take your plan out and say, here's how I grew very specifically and objectively this year. Some aspects of growth are subjective, but nobody grows in fuzzy land. I know you might feel overwhelmed by thinking about that. We'd be happy to sit down with you. But the goal for this year, for us, as we carefully evaluate our thinking, is transformation. Now, the only way that we can do that, then, is we have to have a focus on humble self-evaluation. Notice how Paul puts it here in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You can probably see there in our English translations the use of the word think three times, but but actually that word sober judgment is a compound word that has the same word thinking in there as well. So it's really four And what Paul is trying to do is to draw a contrast between those who would be intoxicated and their thinking being altered, their their actions being altered, and and their thinking being clear and sober. The reality is that when we're evaluating our thinking, we, we tend to, by nature, fall into two ditches. We either fall into one ditch and we, and we think we're really amazing or we fall into the other ditch and we think we're the worst person who's ever existed in the entire history of humanity. Paul's going after that first ditch but is encouraging us through this entire part for humble self-evaluation of ourselves. And so as you try to grow this year and you lay out those steps of growth, that is going to require a focus on humble self-evaluation. And you might even need to invite others into your life to, to speak into that and say, hey, where do you see that I am weak? Where do you see that I'm strong and I can build on those strengths? Where do I need to grow? That's part of why we're going to go through that planning process as a church. What are the, the strengths that we can continue to use? And, and what are the areas that as we see into the future that we should be working on to grow. 
But in our humble self-evaluation, let's remember that as we look at our lives, and if you become overwhelmed, remember that no marriage is too far gone. Remember that no addiction is too great, that that no sin is too dark, that the gospel of Jesus Christ can, can transform anyone to a new creation. But it first has to begin with a humble self-evaluation of where you are. Lastly, our text encourages us to celebrate and cultivate the unity that we enjoy. The, the, the unity around the person and work of Christ in our lives. Berean is a diverse church in many ways. And that is a really good thing that we want to celebrate. And our unity comes from Christ. The text puts it this way in verses 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members, notice, we're members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, that is the gifts. If prophecy, then in proportion to our faith. If service, then in our serving. If the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We have a great unity because of the gospel of Christ. And because he's called us, we have a great diversity as well. This year, we want to celebrate and strengthen that by faithfully ordering a gospel church. We're going to, in the fall, look at the book of 1 Timothy and ask, how do we grow in this faithful unity and diversity that we have as a body of Christ? We're going to look at 1 Timothy, see that we've been entrusted with the gospel And then we want to see how can we take the gospel that he's given to us and and grow ourselves and share the gospel in all of Kalamazoo County and all over the world. Building on that very idea of faithfulness around Thanksgiving, we'll also consider how... I skipped a slide here. I apologize. I got ahead of myself. I want to say first and foremost, thank you for all of those who gave to our, our building committee our building capital campaign. I'm so encouraged by this, and you've seen how we are growing to faithfully order our church, to to reach our community. Praise God for what you're doing. So many of you have already given. Thank you for your commitments. Now is the time to start honoring those commitments. This will be a test of our unity in the days to come and using the gifts that God has given to us. And as our text mentioned, we're, we're going to use those gifts for the service to others. Why did God give us all of the various gifts that He gave to us? Did He give it to give you and me a better life? That you'd have a, a bigger house or a greater car? He gave us gifts that we might glorify Him and serve others. And so as he's given us these gifts, this is where I was going before, he's called us to faithfully steward God's household. 
And we'll be looking at stewards of principle or principles of stewardship around Thanksgiving this very year. In our diversity, in our unity, what we will see ultimately then is that there are different functions, but there is the same Savior. Different functions, but the same Savior. So as we conclude here today and we consider where are we, where are we going, and how do you fit in, my hope and my prayer is that it's clear. That God is calling for us to, to cultivate a heart of spiritual worship that leads to sacrifice for one another. That we would be carefully focused on watching our thinking and discerning how can we grow that we would celebrate our unity and our diversity by faithfully using the gifts that God gave us for His glory. Let me pray. Our Father, we come before You today and we offer You thanks. And I thank You for the many blessings that You've given to us. I thank You for the people who are here who chose to worship with You this Lord's Day that we could gather together and consider where are we, where are we going, and how do You fit in? I pray that we would be serious about our worship, Father, that we would take guarding and watching our hearts seriously this year, and we would focus on transformation all for your glory. We ask this in your Son's most precious and holy name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.